Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Songlit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. And I'm tenor Zachary Dean Smith. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. So lit, so lit, reimagining the repertoire. I first heard the name Ethel Smith because I found Rachel Peters' song, Ethel Smith Plays Golf in Limbo. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea who she was. And then I found out that she was the first female composer to have her opera performed at the Met. And in Rachel Peters' song, she mentions this. And at that point, when Rachel Peters wrote that song, I keep talking about Rachel Peters, go look for the YouTube clip and find it. The song is phenomenally funny, but also tragic when you think of the patriarchy that went into it. In any case, we have only since Ethel Smith's first opera at the Met, we've only had one other female composer have her opera performed at the Met. And that is a hundred, almost a hundred years later. Mm. So Ethel Smith's dates are 1858 to 1944. She was a big suffragette. She was very much a part of the the women's right to vote movement. Correct me if I'm wrong, she contributed a major piece of music that was the sort of theme for the women's suffragette movement. The March of the the Women. Yes, which we considered um, on our women composers program. Mm -hmm. Just didn't quite fit, totally. We might as well make you all mad right away, because um, <laughs> uh, obviously she she faced a, a lot of blockades being a woman. Whenever she would be reviewed for her music, they would always describe her as a lady composer that writes with masculine strength. <laughs> <laughs> she she composed six operas. So that's something that I want to do is to look into her operatic work and just learn more about that in my own time. I believe there is a great soprano aria, if I'm not mistaken, from an opera called Der Wald. Mm. I heard it once and was like, this feels like Wagner. I need to find this. Yes. Ooh, you got my mouth watering on that one. Mm -hmm. Yes. So six operas and she's written books and memoirs, all chronicling her oppression and discrimination that she had faced, not only about, you know, being a woman composer, but also being gay. Mm -hmm. The first song that we'd like to select and show you is the song Possession. 
which she selected uh, this text by a poet named Ethel Carney. And she is of note as well because she is the first working class woman in Britain to ever publish a novel. And so Ethel uh, Smith had chosen her work, rightfully so, as a fellow comrade, if you will. <laughs> exactly, comrade in arms. <laughs> and uh, this piece was dedicated to her friend, Emmeline Pankhurst, who was a leader of the suffragette movement in Britain. If, are there questions about how, what the level of friendship is between these two? <laughs> it's, it's always a question when we talk about queer history. A lot of the times, especially in regards to uh, queer women and lesbians, their relationships are reduced to friendship because that's how it would have been seen as acceptable. It's while they could have lived, you know, for some of them lived together in the same house for decades. Exactly. Um, so a lot of times when we talk about two women who were good friends, mm -hmm. what we are actually saying is that they had a relationship with each other to some degree. Yes, there's quite a bit of history. If you go online, you, you see her name pop up a lot. So that's why I put that little question mark there. At the very least, it's a very deep friendship, very deep relationship between these two. Should we talk about possession? Yes. So when we're looking at the music, the one thing as a pianist that I'm seeing is that it feels very sparse, hmm. but it also has a lot of repetition that, that sort of gives you I mean, I love the title possession. It gives you a sense of like the different meanings of the word possession, mm -hmm. you know, like something that you own, something that's yours, but also something that's like you're kind of obsessed about. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what the melody, the, the very beginning, the opening feels like to me. Yeah, because it keeps circling around, you know, like you just can't let it go. And the words even allude to even if you destroy it, you know, you still want it. Yeah. You just keep coming back. Uh, it's a really simple melodic line, you know, compared to other things that we've covered. I think that gives space for you to really lock in with the words and, and express what she's trying to say. And I think too, this, because it's, it's allegretto tranquillo, so it's a little moving, but you have a lot of time. There's a lot of quarter notes. And I think it's a great exercise. This one is in English and you have a chance to really treat English as a second language mm -hmm. with it. You can really take your time over some of the consonants and try to make certain words stand out a little more just by giving a little bloomed mm. instead of trying to just slough over it and get through the words like we do so often in our own native language. <laughs> Amen. Also have 
songs in German. Quite a few, actually. Yes. We have two opuses. We have Opus 3 and Opus 4. And from Opus 3, we have Bei einer Linde. It is very Schubert-esque in the sense of the melody. It almost, I don't want to say the word copy, but it, it is very close to that style. Yeah, I honestly, like, if I'm looking at the piano part, it kind of reminds me of the Frühlingsklaube by Schubert without the, the rhythmic displacement. It just feels, it looks to me very, very Schubertian and very, even Schumann a little bit, just, it's got a lot of movement in the piano part, but it definitely feels German. Absolutely. And the chord structure is also really Germanic. Mm-hmm. Opus 3, we also have Opus 4, and that starts off with the Tanzlied. The Tanzlied. So this song is dance-like, as it should, from the title. The words to me, I'm going to summarize so I don't say the whole poem for you, but the, the words are very interesting. So to summarize, it's, Your feet must dance when they really want to rest. The cheeks must blush when they really want to remain pale. Eyes must sparkle even when they just want to sleep. So the words are very deep for the, like, this is the existence of a woman. I was going to say, if there isn't a feminist interpretation of that, I don't know what there is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the dance of life, you know, however you want to sort of appropriate this song. The words are so interesting to me. Um, when, when you boil it down, it's like, wow, I really can you know, identify with the sentiment of these words. The melody is very dance-like in the first half of the phrase, and then it slows down and gives space to sort of make your point at the end. So like I was saying, your feet must dance. And then when we get to the point of saying, but I really just want to rest, then the rhythm slows down and gives you space to to say how you really feel. And then we go right back to the dance. Yeah. <laughs> and it's in G minor. There are very few dances like that that feel happy that are in minor keys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I do have to say, like, the the one song, if I had to pick something that this reminds me of, I would say Schumann's, ugh, one of the Dichterliebe, the one where he's saying, oh, es ist ein Flöten und Geigen. Because, you know, in that one, it's like, oh, they're all dancing and it's a wedding and there's a bitterness under it. And this doesn't have that bitterness, but it does have that sort of melancholic, like, when are we ever going to be equal? Yeah. Yep. Just keep circling around the same stuff over and over. It's 2023, 2024. We're still <laughs> circling around these same topics, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Both for, you know, queer people and for women. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's um, a lot of crossover between those two issues. The communities have been very much supportive of each other since the beginning. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that when you are a queer woman, it only gets magnified, you know, even more than it would be for either straight women or um, uh, queer men. Absolutely. the last piece that we wanted to talk about? Nachtgedanken. So this piece feels like a cradle song. It has that rocking back and forth. It's not so uh, comforting, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just so you know, the very first line is, thoughts steal your sleep, mother. Mm -hmm. And and the words, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, I feel like it's alluding to that she wants to tell her mother the truth about who she is. But it's just not possible. It keeps her up at night. And towards the end of the song, I believe, the, there's a line that says basically like, my bed has become a cradle of strife. How many people can think about laying in bed, you know, up all night worrying about things? And, you know, it seems that she's up all night worrying about who she is. As a gay man myself, I can attest to, uh, especially in my early days, laying, you know, in bed late at night, not sure how to communicate with, at first my family, then later my friends, who I was and how I wanted to be. I think that that's a theme that we will see reflected later in several of the other composers that we will focus on. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and quite honestly, even if Heise, this is a Heise poem, if he didn't mean it quite that way, he does have a few moments of talking about die bösen Kriege. It's like the the bösen Kriege here, zur friedlosen Städte, to to unpeaceful the 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 evil war to unpeaceful towns. Even if he didn't mean it that way, she definitely said it that way. Definitely, because it, it it's it's obviously her voice when she's writing this music so it's going to translate a little bit differently and that's just how it felt for me listening and singing through it that if it were my voice that's how I would feel
And this one, if I were to connect connect this to somebody else, I would think again of the Dichterliebe from Schumann, because there's something about the way the piano is set that that it feels stable, and then the middle of the every measure has just like a little bump to it. Absolutely. And these pieces are very accessible to singers of a wide breadth of experience. So I think that everybody should crack open a score. Exactly. And I would say from... From... Deutsche Lieder, dann... Dank, here it is again. Deutsch. Okay. Um... We have Opus 3, we have Opus 4, all of these are German songs. None of them is crazy high. Right. And they're not crazy low. They're in a really nice key for any age group of singer to, to try and look at. Because as a soprano, you can sing a low C, and you should be able to, because Susanna has even lower notes in the notes of Notte di Figaro. So it's a great way to get into a different style of music and also... Show us some women from the beginning of the 20th century. Amen. Musical clips for this episode were performed by soprano Tony Marie Palmertree and pianist Ellen Rissinger and recorded at Morningstar Studios in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of each month. So Lit, Song Lit, is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song-making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit.